Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. Copy God's Word, once you find the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4 is where we're going to be at tonight. And if you are new to Paradigm, uh, man, we love telling stories. One of the things that we get fired up about here at Abundant Life is that we, we want to see lives changed by Jesus. And uh, as a part of that, man, we're seeing God move in and out of people's lives in, in incredible ways, like you just heard from this guy Noah. And uh, what, a, what an amazing thing just to hear somebody's, man, just to be honest. And say, God, do you have something to say about this area of my life? One of the things that we try to say often in this space is that the church should be the safest place for you to be honest. Because God knows everything. We, we all kind of come under the banner of the Bible, which says we've all fallen short. And so it's, it's ironic to me that there are times where we could all agree that we don't have it all together. We could all agree that God is the one that knows everything. But still, there's like this pervasive pretending that takes place in, in spaces like this because Christians be judging people, all right? And so we want to just say, hey, we want to disarm the judgy in here, and we want to have honest conversations, and we want to admit we don't have it together. And I love that we can have a space where people like Noah can say, hey, hey, man, this is something I'm struggling with. Does God's word have any part to play in this aspect of my life? And listen, God wants every part of your life, and he wants you to know him deeply and he wants you to have a right relationship with him. So we're excited to get back into the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you're new to us, we are walking verse by verse through this little book in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians, and we're gonna be at chapter four tonight. As you're getting there, um, a couple of weeks ago, I went down to my basement, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I went down to my basement and I saw like a little crack in the floor. And I was like, that's new. And then I began to watch it over time and I like prayed that the crack would go away. Uh, but I went down a couple of days later and the crack got worse. Went down a couple days later, and I'm thinking, you know what, this surely it's, gonna, it's not going to be that big of a deal. I took a picture of the, of the fracture in the foundation. You can see it right here. Yeah, that's not good. When it begins to separate and it begins to do offsetting things, this is upsetting in my life, all right? Now, um, there's a couple of things that I'm kind of trying to figure out on how to approach this. Uh, first of all, I'm like, all right, I can just kind of pretend it's not there. You know, it's in the basement. I don't go down there very often. We're not really trying to refinish the basement. And so I can just be like, ah, it ain't that big of a deal. Um, I could get like a big rug that, that spans from wall to wall and kind of cover it up, put some duct tape on it. You know, I'm from the South. You can fix stuff with duct tape, but not foundations. But I could try to cover it up and just kind of like manage it and try to pretend, or I could do what I did today. I finally broke down and I called a foundation repair company. Because if I don't do something about the fracture in my foundation, eventually, if you don't know this, if you're not a homeowner, eventually, if you have foundation issues and you don't address them, it's going to impact the entire house. And the reason why I share that with you is because there's a fracture in the foundation of our generation that is pervasive here tonight. What I mean by that is that there is this thing that most everybody in the room tonight is struggling with in some form or fashion. And this thing, if we don't address this fracture that is evident in our generation, man, I believe that it's going to impact all that God is trying to do in your life and in mine. And the fracture in the foundation in our generation that I'm talking about is in regard to our sex lives and our sexuality. 
that there's this tendency to come in here tonight with this issue and to almost pretend like it's not an issue. And, and then there's this other tendency to come in here tonight with this issue and kind of be like, you know what, I'm just going to kind of cover it up and manage it, and I'm just going to live with the fracture and the foundation. But we need, desperately need, to be honest about some of the fractures in our foundation of our sex lives. And then allow the word of God and the spirit of God to begin to repair what may be broken in our lives here tonight. Now, let me just kind of bring us all on the same page real quick. I don't think that anyone in the room does not have some sort of problem with this in their life or has not dealt with some sort of problem in this area in their life at some point in their life. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but let me just say this. Sex, it is a powerful God-given thing, but our culture has hijacked it and it has distorted it and it has created sex and sexuality into something God never intended it to be, so much so that, that you've come in here tonight and, and the demographic that you represent, young adults, are the number one consumer of pornography in the world. Like, like I, I don't know if you know this or not, but the porn industry makes more money than the NFL, the MLB, the NBA, the NHL combined. And the people in this room, not necessarily you personally, but the demographic that you represent, people in their 20s are consuming pornography in North America at the highest rate. Not to mention all the other industries that revolve around sexuality and fantasy novels and fantasy movies and, a, and a, you know, dancing movies, all the clubs, all the different things that revolve around this industry. And it is something that many people in their 20s are dealing with. Not to mention your romantic relationships. I don't know if you've, I don't know if um, you've figured this out yet, but guys, you know, most of the guys, they find girls attractive. <laughs> girls, most of the girls, they find guys attractive. Uh, most, you know, some guys find guys attractive. Some girls find girls attractive. I mean, there's like people, like it's difficult to navigate this thing. And then you get into a romantic relationship and it's just like, man, all systems are a go, you know, and it's difficult. Y'all don't leave me up here like, like, I, like I'm outdated up here. What are you talking about? Some of y'all getting nervous, like how does he, you know, like I know, all right? And I don't think there's a one of us that hasn't dealt with a foundation issue, a fracture in our foundation. And listen, God wants to speak specifically into this area tonight from his word. Because when it comes to sex and sexuality, Again, I think that a couple of things happen. What happens is that people will, they'll just kind of say, you know what, I don't care. I'm gonna pretend like it's not there. Or they'll say, you know what, I'm tired of dealing with the brokenness that's in my life. I need to address this. And tonight, we're gonna see what God's word has to say about this specific area in your life. If you're taking notes, I've titled this message, Sex and the Bible. Sex and the Bible. I think the church has done a poor job of talking about this very, very important subject matter that's in our lives. And I think, again, oftentimes the church has done a poor job of, of helping people navigate the different hurdles and, and struggles that you are going to go through, that I've gone through. And so tonight, we're going to talk about it because God's word demands it. And we're going to see tonight that you need to know God's will. You need to walk in God's way. And before we leave tonight, I'm going to ask you to listen to God's warning. Now, when it comes to sex, our culture is all over the map. All right, I don't know if you've made much observations in regard to this area in our culture, but you're gonna hear all sorts of messages. I mean, we are living in um, the, the aftermath of the hangover of the sex revolution that took place in the 60s. And like, we're living in this culture that's like liberty and, liber and, and liberation, and you just need to be free sexually. That there's this kind of like, a, like empowerment movement that you need to use your body to get ahead in life. If you've got it, you should flaunt it. That sexuality is something that 
or sex, it sells in our culture. It's something that's almost like the air we breathe. Like if there's, if the movie doesn't have some sort of heated scene in it, then we feel like it's missing something. And, and that's, that is what is all around in our society. So I think sometimes we'll read the Bible and be like, the Bible just doesn't get it. Like, it, like that's an old book. It was written thousands of years ago, and the times have changed so much. And so the Bible, sure, it talks about this ethic in regard to sexuality, but, but that was just back then, and, and we're sophisticated now. We've evolved now, and the Bible, we shouldn't really heed what it has to say about these sort of things. Because we oftentimes, we think that the Bible is written in a culture that was very, very prudish, but that's not the case at all. Like this letter that a guy named Paul is writing to a group of people in Thessalonica, it's modern day Greece. It was wild back in the day, y'all. Like the culture that the New Testament was written in, it was one of the most sexually crazy, dark, and free places ever in human history. Like in this culture, they would have orgies on the regular. Like they would have clubs where they would just go and do that. You've heard of Orange Theory? They had Orgy Theory back in the day, all right? Like they would go and do that. Like there would be worship. They would go to church and they would worship their gods by having sex with temple prostitutes. I mean, think about that. I'm going to church. I'm going through Next Steps class to do what? Oh my goodness, that's not right. You know, like that's what they would do for their worship service. If you wanted to have sex with a child and you wanted to be a pedophile in this culture, it was okay. In our culture, that is a crime and you should be prosecuted. But in this culture, it was like, yeah, it's just a Tuesday. You can do that if you want. There were slaves in this culture. You could rape your slave and it wasn't illegal. And this is the culture of Thessalonica. And so Paul, the guy that wrote this letter to the Christians, like he's gonna call them to a sex ethic. And I think sometimes we can read it and we can be like, wow, they don't understand the culture we live in, how difficult that is. And I would just say, yes, they do, and then some. And what Paul is gonna do is he's gonna call this group of Christians, this group of young adults in this place called Thessalonica to honor God with this aspect of their life. And listen, they did. And because they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and because they followed his way, they changed the known world. And you and I have the opportunity to do that tonight. Here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians, starting in verse one. He says, finally then, brethren, let me just stop real quick. Paul, he's been hyping these people in Thessalonica. Like, like when you read different letters from this guy named Paul, and like some people he's like trying to correct some of their thinking and some of their preaching and some of their teaching. But this group of people, he's like, man, he, he helped start this church in Thessalonica. He's like, I love you guys. You know, remember when we were all together? Like, you keep going. And now he's turning the corner and saying, all right, guys, let me just keep, let me keep it real with y'all. He says, finally then, brethren, I think it's important to note that everything we're talking about from this point on is targeted towards people that have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. So if you're here tonight and you're just kind of checking out like Christianity and you're checking out the Bible or checking out church, we are so glad that you're here. But I'm about to say some things that are really targeted for people that have said, you know, I've decided to follow Jesus. And if you haven't made that decision, then really I would point you to just wrestling with the existence of God. What does that mean for your life? And have you surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation? Because if you haven't done that, it's going to be really, really frustrating to try to live like a Christian, even though I think if you follow Jesus, it'll make you better at life and it'll make you have a better life. But the people that are here tonight, the word of God is specifically targeted towards the brethren or the people that have said, I admit that I'm a sinner. I have come to a point in my life where I've asked Jesus Christ to be my savior because I believe he died on a cross and he rose from the grave. I'm gonna follow him all of my days. And when you make that decision, what you're saying 
is I surrender my life, all of my life, even my sex life. And so Paul, this is who he's talking to. Here's what he says. He says, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. I love this because Paul, he's continues like, we got, like you've got to gotta keep going, you know? Like he sees some evidence of them progressing. He's like, we urge you and exhort you that you would keep walking, that you would abound in this, that you would keep going. Many of you have come in here tonight, and when it comes to your sex life, you have surrendered it over to God. And I would just say to you, you keep going. You keep honoring God. And then others of you, you've come here tonight and you claim to follow Jesus and that he's changed your life, but there's this aspect of your sexuality in your sex life and you're willingly being defiant. And tonight, the word of God, it's gonna challenge you. And hopefully you've come here because you wanna be encouraged and you wanna be challenged. And hopefully you've come here because you wanna hear the word of God presented to you. That if, you, if you've come here so that I would encourage you and so that you would hear the words of me, that's lame, all right? We've come here to hear the word of God Almighty, to be presented with great clarity, hopefully, so that we can submit our lives accordingly, so that you would be urged and exhorted to keep going if you're going in the right direction, or you'd be urged and exhorted to change, change directions if you're not headed in the right direction. And so he goes on in verse three, and here's what he says. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. If you're, if you're taking notes in your Bible, you can just circle that verse. This is such a great verse for you to hone in on. If you're looking for a verse to kind of commit to memory in this season of your life, this is a great verse for you to chew on for really the rest of your life. If you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down, point number one, you've got to know God's will. You've got to know God's will. We're talking about sex in the Bible tonight. And if you want to be able to honor God with this aspect of your life, you've got to know God's will. I don't know if you've come in here tonight and, and you've, you've ever asked that question, like, what is God's will for my life? You know, Paul, he's working through, he's like, man, y'all keep going. And then he begins to narrow in. He's like, you've got to know God's will. And here's God's will. And here's a way that God's will plays out. And maybe you've asked that question, what's God's will for my life? And that is such a great question to ask. Now, I remember there's been times in my life, I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? God, if you would just tell me what you want me to do, that's what I want to do, you know? And if you are a believer in Christ, what you're saying is I believe God knit me together in my mother's womb, that he has a plan and a purpose for my life. Don't you know that God, that God says that about you? Everybody just kind of look at me. If you're dozing off, check back in real quick. Listen, God knit you together in your mother's womb. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. God Almighty has a will for your life. And well, it's natural just to ask the question, well, what is God's will? And oftentimes I'll get asked that question, hey, Jack, how do you know God's will? Well, I don't know everything about God's will, but I do know some things about God's will. And I just want to share with you, here's God's will for your life. Your sanctification. Um, I don't know if, uh, <laughs> if you ever come to church and, and the guy that's up here is like, hey, God's will. And you're like, all right, I'm listening, I'm ready. And then he uses like this big word that you don't even know what makes it, you don't even know what it means, you know? And you're like, okay, that does not help, you know? <laughs> so you like leave, you're, like, you're at work tomorrow and then you, your buddy's asking, what'd you do last night? You're like, I figured out God's will. And, and, and he's like, well, well, what's God's will? You're like, sanctification. He's like, that's weird. What does that even mean? You're like, I don't know. It sounds great though. I figured it out, you know? Well, let me give you a definition of sanctification. This is just kind of a five-part definition. Sanctification is God's will for you to be set apart as a proof of your salvation that is both progressive and practical in your life. 
Sanctification is God's will for you to be set apart as a proof of your salvation that is both progressive and practical in your life. And so Paul, he's like, here's God's will for you. I don't know every aspect of God's will for your life, but here's something to hang your hat on. This is something to aim your life towards. Be sanctified. Well, well how, how far does that go? Does, am I just sanctified in my money? Am I just sanctified in my work? Am I just sanctified in the, in the way I spend my time? And like, how, how much of my life, God, do you want to be sanctified? All of it. What about, what about my sex life? That too. I think a lot of us have a surrender problem. We kind of measure out our obedience and we'll, we'll, we'll come into places like this and we're like, Lord, I surrender. I don't know if you've ever heard the old songs, the old church song called I Surrender All. I know there's been times in my life where I'm like, oh, I, I surrender all, you know, and I start opening up my hand of surrender. And then, and then there's times where you're like, all right, God, I'm surrendered. And many times the thing that you have closed is your sexuality. You're saying, God, I'm gonna surrender everything except for this private aspect of my life. And God's saying, I need you to surrender that thing too. And so Paul makes it abundantly clear. He says, this is God's will for your life, your sanctification. And then he gives a, an application of what that means that you would abstain from sexual immorality. Now, if you're taking notes, you could write this down. The Greek word for sexual immorality is one word. It's the Greek word pornea. And, and it's kind of a catch-all phrase because I, I, I just think the biblical authors knew people. You know, like there's somebody here, like if Paul would have hit a list of like 10 things, you know, that you can't, you know, you, you can't fornicate, you can't commit adultery, you can like just go through this list. Like there would be some freaky guy out there that would find the loophole and say, ha, ah, the Bible didn't say I can't do that, you know? And you're doing some kind of weird thing because the Bible said you could. And so it just says, hey, sexual morality. And sexual morality is this catch-all phrase. It's kind of the junk drawer of sexual de uh, deviancy. And if you need a definition, here's what, here's what the Bible's saying. Anything that turns you on sexually towards someone who's not your spouse is sexual immorality. And so this could mean sitting on a couch late at night with your significant other. This could, be, this could mean you by yourself on TikTok and in your bedroom. This could mean a number of things. You reading a fantasy novel. This could mean a number of things. You watching a rom-com that takes you to a place. This could mean a number of things. And the Bible's just gonna say real clearly that if you wanna know God's will for your life, in this aspect of your life, he calls you to abstain from anything that turns you on sexually towards someone that is not your spouse. So, Big question, if we were sitting in my living room and we were talking about this and I just laid this out, here's what I'd ask you. I'd say, so how's your sex life been sanctified? And it would be kind of awkwardly silent like that, you know? Um, I, don't, I don't know how to answer that. So let's ask that question. How has your sex life been sanctified? Well, let's go back to our definition and we're gonna walk through five questions you can ask yourself tonight to kind of audit this aspect of your life. How has your sex life been sanctified? Here's question number one. Do I know God's will for sex? Do I know God's will for sex? Listen, sex is a beautiful thing that God designed. He designed men, he designed women, he designed marriage, and he designed pleasure. I mean, like when I think about this thing without getting weird, like it's amazing, all right? And this was all God's idea. And God, he invented everything, and then he invented the thing where this is supposed to live so that it would flourish and humanity would flourish. And you've gotta know God's will for sex. 
I mean, God, God created men and women to lock bodies, to make babies, and make bonds in marriage. And this was all God's idea, that God wanted people to experience pleasure in the context of marriage. And when you don't know God's will, you'll pervert God's will. And you'll think that he's against sex when really he's the most pro-sex thing out there. And you'll think that some kind of weird, and you've got to go figure it out on your own, and it's going to lead to all kinds of baggage and problems. The second question I want you to ask yourself is, is, is your sex life separate from the world? Is your sex life separate from the world? Again, sanctification, that means that you're set apart. And so I want you to think about, um, get, get, run an audit, like on your family of origin. What did you learn from your daddy about sex? What did you learn from your mama about sex? Uh, think about the college you went to or the group of guys that you hung out with when you were like, you know, let's start age 11 to, um, you know, to, to 22. The group of guys, the group of girls, you, and all the advice that y'all swapped, you know? Like, what, you know, what did you learn there, you know? And, uh, and, and, and think, about, think about what your buddies talked about or what your girlfriends talk about as young adults now as you're going out and doing the things that y'all do. And, 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 and how are you, here's the question, is your sex life separate from the world? How are you looking different in this area? If you claim to be a Christian, how are you reflecting what God says about this in your life? Because to be sanctified literally means that you're set apart, that you're separate from the world. And listen, God wants to protect your heart, and God wants to protect your bodies, and God has this beautiful, amazing gift he wants to give you, but it should look different than the way the world goes about it. Next question is this, how does your sex life prove your salvation? How does your sex life prove your salvation? I think that you can look to this area of your life and you can see vividly, I'm either surrendered or I'm not. This is one of those things that is so easy to pinpoint whether or not you're surrendered because you're either acting upon the desires that I think everyone in the room has to some degree or another. You're either acting on those things in illegitimate ways or you're not. And if you are, if you come in here tonight and, you, and you're saying, man, I'm, I love Jesus, all hell King Jesus, but you're giving in time and time and time again, you are proving more that you're not surrendered to Jesus. And this aspect of your life is proof of your salvation. Now, let me be real straight with you. Um, when you become a Christian, <laughs> I think sometimes we'll think that, you know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna become a Christian and then I'll never struggle with sexual desire again until I get married. Is that true? Somebody say no, right? Like this is something that is gonna be present in your life. And listen, the struggle is proof of your salvation. If you can sin with no remorse, if you're texting somebody, if you're on a dating app right now during this sermon and you're planning who you're gonna hook up with but you think you're a Christian, I would just lovingly challenge that because you're not submitted and surrendering all of your life over to Jesus. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's, Lord, he's not Lord at all in your life. And the fact that you struggle with sin, not perfectly, no one's perfect in this area, no one's perfect in this life, but the fact that you struggle with sin is proof that you are a Christian, but the goal would be that you would struggle not to defeat, but struggle unto victory. The next question to ask yourself is this, are you progressing in your purity? Are you progressing in your purity? And this question is meant to ask, can you look back at a time where you submitted your life to Jesus, 
and look at how you were dealing with your sexuality and your sex drive during that season. And maybe, maybe you're not all the way completely 100%, I'm, I'm like faultless and progressing and faithful and all that stuff, but you can see that you've been taking steps towards purity. Or are you, are you worse than you were 10 years ago? Are you walling out more than you did when you were in high school? What are, you, like, what are you doing in this area of your life? Are you making progress in your purity? You should be able to look back and say, man, I used to look at pornography. I used to masturbate. I used to chase the opposite sex or the same sex. I used to chase anything. But now I'm not doing those things. I'm not who I want to be, but I'm not who I once was. Are you progressing in your purity? The last question to ask yourself is how are you practically fighting sexual sin? What are you functionally doing to fight sexual sin? Like, what are you doing when you're tempted? I think this is one of the questions I get asked all the time. Like, I mean, I would say nine out of 10 conversations that I have with men, I'm like, hey man, what's up? And they're like, man, you know, I just, uh, you know, man, I just, uh, you know, I'm just struggling with some things. I'm like, you're masturbating, aren't you? I'm like, just blink at me if it's true. <laughs> and it's difficult to talk about. And they'll, then they'll begin to ask, like, man, how do you get free from this? And I'll look at them and I'll say, hey, man, first of all, you can get free. I think sometimes we believe that we're so caught up in something that, that we can't get free. And we just got to manage this fracture in our foundation. And I can tell you on the authority of Jesus Christ and the integrity of my walk that you can be faithful and you can be free from this. And so I'll look at them and say, you can be free. And then I'll begin to walk them through practically, how do you get free? So maybe you're asking that question, like, man, I want freedom in this area. I, I, I want to fix the foundation. I don't want to live with this thing. I don't want my whole house to crumble one day. Well, here, here's how you get free. First of all, you've got to know God's will. We've talked about that already. And God's will is found in God's word. And then you've got to know God's way, and God's way is found in God's word. And then you have to make a decision to walk in it. Earlier this morning, we poured the last bit of the foundation in our Crossroads campus. You can see a picture of it right here. And so we were out there this morning and um, the construction guys, they were, um, yep, it'll come up in a second. So they were, bare, yeah, there it is. This guy, he's, he's putting dirt over a Bible that we put in the final piece of the foundation of this church. And this is the entrance to the church building. And so anytime someone comes into this church forever, they're gonna walk over a copy of God's word as a symbol of saying we are gonna walk in the word of God that we're gonna invite people to walk in the word, to live their life in such a way where they read the Bible and they seek to walk in it. If you wanna get free, if you wanna be sanctified functionally, practically, you've gotta get into God's word and you've got to walk in the truths that are laid out. And Paul, he just anticipates that his audience is saying, okay, we wanna do that, how do we do that? And so he goes on in verse four, and here's what he says. He says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. There's that word again. And he says, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who don't know God. Gentiles is just a group of people that, that didn't know God. And so he's saying, like, you, you've got to, you've got to uh, control your vessel, control yourself, and you don't give in to those cravings like people who don't know God do. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you can write, write this down. You've got to know God's will, and then you've got to walk in God's way. 
You gotta walk in God's way. We're talking about sex in the Bible tonight. We're talking about this area that many people have come in here tonight and many people that'll watch this video and listen to this message, they're saying, man, I've got a fracture in the foundation of my sexuality and my sex life. And, I, and, and God, I wanna be submitted in all aspects. Would you fix this? And you gotta know God's will. You gotta walk in his way. Paul, he's expounded upon this practically. He says, you gotta know how to possess your own vessel. This is just Paul's way of saying, you gotta control yourself. That a mark that your life has been changed by Jesus is that you are growing in your self-control. This is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Do you have self-control? He says you gotta possess your own vessel. Vessels hold water, kind of like this water bottle. And this, this water, I'm, I'm, I'm possessing my own vessel because I have the water in its container. And he said you gotta control yourself. Now when it comes to water in my basement, I really love water in my basement in certain places. Here's what I mean by that. I have all of these pipes running like in, in my basement and um, the water is in the pipe and it goes where it needs to go so that I can have hot water. I mean, aren't you grateful for running water? I mean, praise God for pressurized water and hot water. I just love hot water. It's amazing. It's God's gift. Anyway, so I've got water in my basement and I love that I have water in my basement in the right place. When water in my basement is in the right place, it is a blessing to my whole household. But we got some rain recently, and I've got a cracked foundation. And water started coming in through my wall. And so now I have water in my basement in the wrong place. And when water is in your basement in the wrong place, it's a burden to the whole household. The reason why I share that with you is because your sex life is kind of like water in the basement, so to speak. And when your sex life is in the right place, it is a blessing to the whole household. But when your sex life is in the wrong place and it's seeping in in illegitimate ways, it's a burden to the whole household. And if you don't learn how to control yourself, you're not practically living out the will of God. You have to control your own vessel. Well, he tells us the way that you control your own vessel is that you gotta have the right mindset in order to get the right outcome. And he says you gotta control your own vessel towards sanctification and honor. We've already talked about sanctification tonight, so let's talk about honor real quick. The word of God, this is the word that Paul uses, and he says, you've got, to, you've got to know how to possess your own vessel towards honor. Honor, if you look at the, up the definition of honor in the original language, you'll, you'll see a combination of ideas that it's speaking of value and it's speaking of rank. And so just think like a king and a queen, right? And so you would honor the king, you would honor the queen because they're valuable and they, ha they have high rank. And what the word of God is saying is that you've got to have the right mindset. You have to see yourself as sanctified, someone who knows God's will, who's separate from the world, that is seeking to have this thing as a proof that they've been changed by Jesus, is progressing, and is practically fighting their sin. And then you've got to see what God sees about you, and you've got to understand what he says about you. You're a queen. You're a king. If we're just out meeting, I've got a, a wife and three little girls, and we love these little girls. And they're growing up, like we're right on the cusp of puberty with one of them, and it's so exciting because they're just like, just amazing, sweet little girls, and they're about to blossom and develop into amazing, beautiful women. And my wife and I, like, we, we just love getting next to them, looking at them in the eyes, or laying with them at night, and whispering in their ear, and just building into them this understanding that you are beautiful, that God made you beautiful, that your, your hair is beautiful, your eyes are beautiful, and just like just adorning them with adoration and saying, you are valuable. 
And if I could just grab the ear of every lady here tonight and, and speak to you like a daughter, just say, because of what God says about you, you're made in his image, you're valuable. And so women, let me just kind of give you a challenge tonight. You should live like the queen that you are. And the queen does a couple of things. The queen is gracious and elegant in her behavior, right? That the queen, she, she's modest in her behavior. She's dignified. And the queen is also modest in the way that she presents herself. That one of the ways, ladies, you can honor God and live out his plan for your life is to be aware of your body. So we're teaching our girls this, and we're like, girls, when you wear yoga pants, you know, we, we want you to wear a long shirt because we want you to cover your rear. And so that's what we're teaching our girls because we're trying to help them to understand that boys like to look at your rear when it's in yoga pants, you know. And I'm trying to help them understand, even at a young age, and so you need, to, you need to put on one of daddy's shirts or whatever it is. And so we're trying to teach them how to present themselves in a way that's dignified. And so women, be the queen that God made you to be. And men, be the king that God made you to be. That God made you in his image to be image bearers, to represent the masculine nature of God. And that doesn't mean that you have to go out and kill stuff and be in a big truck or something weird like that. All right? Just be, be the king that God made you to be. What does that mean? That means that you are dignified in your behavior. You're not flirting with everything that will give you attention. You're dignified. You're protecting women in, in general, not just the ones you find attractive, all right? That you're living your life in such a way where you understand who you are and you're controlling yourself. And so men, if I could just lend your ear like little brothers, like sons even, and just say, you are God's men. And so be men that reject passivity, lead courageously, walk in humility, and expect God for a greater reward and control yourself, men. This is what it means to play out honor and value and sanctification in your life in a couple of ways. So you gotta have the right mindset. This is what God says about you, and the right mindset will lead to the right outcome. He says again in verse five, he says that you're to live out the abstinence of sexual morality by not giving in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. And so if you wanna have the right outcome of not giving in to the passions of, of your lust, you have gotta have the right mindset. And so to get to this right outcome, you gotta understand what God's trying to say. This is a phrase that just literally means that you can't feed your sex drive. You, you can't feed your sexual desire. Like, and let me just ask you real quick, how are you feeding your sexual desire? I think every one of us has come in here tonight, and again, we have desire to one degree or another, some more than mo others, all right? And, and you've got to ask yourself, how are you feeding that thing? And are you feeding that thing in illegitimate ways and claiming to be a Christian? Because if you're claiming to be a Christian, God says you've got to be controlling of yourself. And maybe you're here and, and you would say, golly, I picked the wrong night to come to Paradigm, you know? Like, I, I mean, I don't know if I've been in, in messages and, and preach messages like this, and it's just like, it's eerily silent, you know? And the reason why is because this is a fracture in our generation. And maybe you're here and you're like, man, I have messed up. And oftentimes you'll hear a message like this and you'll just hear shame and guilt and condemnation. And listen, if you're hearing that, let me just remove that 
And if you're here saying, man, I've messed up, what do I need to do? Let me give you some advice because, again, I'll talk with men and we'll talk about these things. My wife shall talk with women. They'll talk about these things and we'll say, okay, all right, are you ready to, to get free? And they're like, yes, what do I need to do? Well, here's a few things that you need to do. If you're ready to get free and you're taking honest, here's the first thing you got to do. You you're taking notes. Here's the first thing you got to do. You got to be honest, all right? You got to be honest. I think sometimes when I've, I'll ask questions and, and, and ask kind of, you know, um, intentional questions and, and be like, well, what's going on? Well, it, it, oftentimes we can just be so generic. You know, I'm just going through some things with my boyfriend, really, you know. Or I'm just going through some things with my girlfriend, really, bro, what does that mean? I think I know what that means. You're going through some things on the bed with your girlfriend. That's what you're doing, right? And like, be, be honest, be specific. I think oftentimes we'll be like, you know what, I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm struggling and, uh, well, what are you struggling with? It's an unspoken. We know what that means, you know what I'm saying? Just be honest, because listen, God can't deal with the Instagram version of you. God has to deal with the real you. And until you get honest, until you're ready to, here's the Bible word, confess your sin to God, you, you, won't, you won't get free. Have you confessed your sin to God? I think sometimes we want to even cloak it up with God. We want to confess this thing and this thing, but not these things. Have you confessed all of your sin to God, like your Finsta account? You know, that, that account that you created so that you can do things and send pictures and, and no one else will really know? Have you confessed what you, what you did back then? Have you confessed to God? Have you confessed the things maybe that have been done to you? You have to confess. You gotta be honest and you gotta confess those things. And when you confess those things, you're confessing them to God vertically and you're asking God, would you forgive my sin? And he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. And then you confess them, men to a trusted man and women to a trusted woman. And we pray for one another. The Bible tells us to confess our sins to one another, pray for one another so that we can be healed. You gotta be honest. The second thing is you gotta embrace brokenness. You gotta embrace brokenness. I'll counsel people oftentimes and, and, and even look back in my life and, and just wonder like, why did I struggle with certain things for so long? I'll counsel people and like, why are you still struggling with this? And I'll look at them in the face and I'll say, man, you are not broken over your sin yet. You need to pray for brokenness. Have you been broken over your sin? I don't know if you've ever dislocated something. I dislocated my finger when I was in high school. And like my finger was out of, it was out of joint and it was, it was broken, and I went to the trainer, I said, whatever you need to do to fix this, fix it now. I was desperate to get my finger reset because it was broken. And listen, when you're broken over your sin, you're desperate to do whatever you need to do to get reset. Have you hit that place yet? Oftentimes I'll challenge people on whether or not they're broken because they're not willing to have a hard conversation with the person that they're sleeping with. I'll challenge the person whether or not they're broken because they're not willing to get rid of their phone and that's the place that they're consuming pornography and touching their self. What are you willing to sacrifice in order to fix the fracture that's in your foundation? And if you're not willing to sacrifice the thing that needs to be sacrificed, then you're not really broken over your sin. The next thing you need to do if you wanna get free is you gotta remove the source. This is kind of a no-brainer. If there's something that is causing you to continually sin in this way, you gotta remove the source. You gotta remove the temptation. And so if that's a phone, if that's a person, you know, you gotta remove it, all right? And you gotta get rid of the source. 
Uh, many people, they'll, they'll kind of dismiss pornography use and they'll think, you know what, that's not that big of a deal. I don't know if you've seen, but lately there's like a trending Netflix show called Dahmer. I haven't watched it. It's kind of gross. But if you know anything about Dahmer, he's, he's a serial killer and a very sick one. There was an interview done by a guy named James Dobson, and he was asking Dahmer, what, you know, what led to all of this? Why did you abduct people, do sexual things with them, and then murder them in heinous ways? Where did all of this begin? Dahmer said it began when he was first exposed to pornography. Not that every porn user is going to become a Dahmer, but it shows the sickness and the darkness of when you begin to look at sexual acts that are violent in nature and you begin to feed that desire, there's no telling what you're capable of. And you gotta remove the source. The last thing you gotta do, or the next thing you gotta do is you gotta pray instead of please. You've got to pray instead of please. If self-pleasing is something that you've done consistently, I would urge you, instead of pleasing yourself in that place, make that a place of prayer. That you would go to that place, that wherever you do that thing, you would get on your knees and you would pray, God Almighty, would you set me free? God, I don't wanna deal with this thing anymore. God, I want to be done with this thing. And that you would pray in those spaces and in those places instead of pleasing yourself. And the last thing that you need to do is that you need to share with community. You need to share with community. Men, you need to find some trusted men that you can say, hey guys, this is something I'm struggling with. And they'll probably all look at you and say, yep, me too. And women, you need to find some trusted women that you can say, hey ladies, this is some things I'm struggling with. And more than likely, they're gonna look at you and say, yeah, me too. And you need to say, okay, how can we help each other and hold each other accountable? And so you ask questions like, are you going on a date with that person this weekend? And like, yeah, man, she's fine, or he's a hunk, or whatever it is. And you say, okay, what's your plan? When are you gonna drop them off or leave whatever? And, and you say, okay, I'm gonna call you at this time. And then when you start blowing them up at 10 o'clock on Friday night and they're dodging you, you can probably guess what's going on. And then you talk about that and you process that and you say, hey, that's not what God wants for you. And you begin to live those things out. You hold each other accountable so that you can make progress in your purity. God wants to liberate you. He wants you to walk in his word because he has something better for you. He wants you to be men and women of integrity where you walk in the freedom that Christ died to give you. And so what would it look like if we made a commitment to walk in a better way tonight? Paul goes on to verse six and he says this, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we were, as we also forewarned you and testified. And he goes on, he says, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. He says in verse eight, therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also has given us his Holy Spirit. I love verse eight because he's saying, if you have problems with what the Bible says about sex and sexuality, you're not, you're not really arguing with men, you're arguing with God. And we live in a day and age in our culture, in our generation, in our, in, in our part of the world where, where the American church is saying, well, you know, you can be this version of sexuality, you can have this sex this way, and you know, God, it's, it's changed. It's kind of contextualized to our culture. But I think the word of God has settled it very clear tonight. Let me just read it. If you reject this, talking about God's standard for sexuality, you're not rejecting man, but you're rejecting God who has given us the Holy Spirit. Listen, you can't have the perks of being a child of God without having the parameters that God has laid out. 
You don't get to pick and choose. I'll have the Holy Spirit and his peace and his grace, but I'm gonna act on my homosexuality or I'm gonna act on my heterosexuality in whatever ways that I want. That, it doesn't work that way. This is not up for debate when you read the Bible. God's word settles it clearly, and here's just another part of evidence to present to you tonight. Third and finally, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. You've got to listen to God's warning. It, it, we're talking about sex in the Bible tonight. If you want to have a, a life that is surrendered over to Jesus, you've got to know God's will, you've got to walk in his word, and you've got to listen to his warning. Paul, he finishes this section, and he says, guys, guys, if you defraud people, and if you take advantage of people, God will avenge the wicked. Like when you, when you reject the Bible, God, he will take care of people that are sinners and that are defiantly sinning against him. And the sin that he's talking about here is the sin of taking advantage or defrauding people. Do you take advantage of people? Do you defraud people? I think when I hear those two categories, I'm like, no, nah, man, no, nah, I, I, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like I, I treat people good. I don't, I don't take advantage of them. I don't defraud them. Let me just ask you this. Do you pressure people? Hey, girl, get you, I'm going to buy you another drink. No, you keep drinking. You pressure people. Because you know if she gets to a certain point of intoxication, her inhibitions go away. Some of you, you've drugged people, or you know people that have been drugged, or maybe you've been drugged. You've been pressured. Some of you, uh, here's another way. Do you overly romanticize a situation so that you can hope to get as close to the point as possible and just see what happens? Do you take advantage of or defraud people? Listen, men, if you are pressuring a woman, you are robbing her purity. It's consensual, bro. You're still the one that's responsible. Do you get prostitutes? Do you pressure people? Do you defraud them? Do you exploit people? I think sometimes we'll hear a list like that. We're like, nah, bro, I don't do none of that. You know, I just look at a little porn. And I think we've created this category of sexuality where we can watch pornography and we think that it's consensual, like, oh, they're getting paid to act. And, and I'm, you know, I'm just, it's in the privacy of my own home. It's just me and my phone. I'm not hurting anybody. Listen, listen, listen. You are exploiting people for the purpose of your selfish pleasure. And God says, if you defame and defraud people and take advantage of people, he will avenge you. Do you have no reverence for God? Think about all of the brokenness and the baggage that has come because of people misusing their sexuality. Think of all the dark things in our world, sex trafficking, children getting taken advantage of, the pornography industry, all of the violence that is wrapped up in that just because people have exploited and defrauded and taken advantage of people. And what's it gonna take in your life? Some of you have carried an STD. Some of you have gotten an unwanted pregnancy. Some of you have heartache after heartache after heartache. Others of you can't look a person in the eyes because you're looking at such vile things in your own private time and it's causing you to experience a loss of something. What's it gonna take for you to trust God with this area of your life? I started asking myself, um, like, why, 
like, how did this foundation happen? I live in an older home, and I'm like, I thought the houses settle, like, and they're good where they're at. And, and I started doing some research, and I found out that the reason why my foundation moved is because there's been a drought this summer. Because there hasn't been rain falling consistently, it's impacted my foundation. Because there's no refreshing in the soil, it's causing the soil to do all kinds of weird things it shouldn't do, which is impacting my house. And the reason why I shared that with you tonight is because some of you have come in here and the reason why you have fractures in your foundation is because you're in a drought spiritually. And if I were to ask you, if you could give me one word to describe where you're at with God, you'd say, man, it's dry. It's dry. And the reason why you're running to this thing or that thing to give you what only God can give you is because you're spiritually dry. There's this Old Testament passage in Hosea chapter six, and it just says this. This is where we finish tonight. Come, let us return to the Lord. It's an invitation. Let us return to God. The irony of repentance is that you run to the one that you've offended. That many of you tonight, you need to return to the Lord. It says he has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. And after two days, he's gonna revive us. And on the third, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. You cannot live in the presence of God if you haven't been restored. And he says this in verse three, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear and he will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. What we need desperately tonight to fix the fractures in our foundation is a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God so that he can bring restoration in a way that only he can. And tonight is an opportunity for you to do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love in my life. God, I thank you for uh, just how you have worked in my life, I thank you for how you've worked in so many people's lives that I, I know. God, I thank you for just the way your word is clear, the way your word is true. God, I thank you for your love, that you don't call us to do something without empowering us to do that thing. God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus so that me, who was guilty as charged and deserving of the punishment of God Almighty, you sent your son Jesus to take my punishment. And God, I pray that tonight, you would liberate people. God, that you would set people free. That tonight we would do business with you. That we would be honest. That we would confess our sin. That we would be broken. God, we go home. We remove the source of our temptation. We turn our places of pleasure into places of prayer. And we'd get accountability. And God, you would help us to know your will. To walk in your word and to hear and listen to your warning. In Christ's name I pray, amen.